headaches, believe it or not, a lot of you know, a lot of people don't know, can be very common in children, and it is the most common manifestation of pain. So we always think of light pains, but actually. Headaches are very common in childhood, and it ends up being one of the most frequent reasons why people seek out the emergency room or urgent care. Welcome to Kidding Around with Dr. Candice. That's me, your host. This show is all about kids' health. My expert guest and I want to help you make sure your kids are happy and healthy. Hey everybody, welcome to Kidding Around. I'm Dr. Candice and thank you so much for listening. Today we are talking about kids and teens with headaches. This is a common complaint in pediatrics and I often get the help from my neurology and headache specialist friends, so I definitely wanted to do this topic for you guys today. My guest is Dr. Lauren Doyle Strauss. She is the doctor of osteopathy, a board certified pediatric neurologist and headache specialist. She completed her child neurology, residency, and headache medicine fellowship, both through the Harvard University School of Medicine. That's impressive. And she is an assistant professor at Wake Forest School of Medicine, as well as the child neurology residency director. So she is educating future neurologists. Thank you so much, Dr. Strauss, for coming to kid around with me today. Great. Well, thank you for that introduction. My goodness. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So we're going to jump right in. Give us some background, basic information on headaches, what they are, what is it? As most people know, how common they are and some of the causes and risk factors. Right. So headaches, believe it or not, a lot of people don't know, can be very common in children. And it is the most common manifestation of pain. So we always think of light pains, but actually Headaches are very common in childhood, and it ends up being one of the most frequent reasons why people seek out the emergency room or urgent care. So it's something that a lot of people are worried about, but I want people to be reassured that it can be very normal, and it does not always mean a brain tumor. That's like the first concern a lot of parents worry about. And so it is a very common thing that a lot of children experience. There are some statistics that we rely on that for current headaches, that means more than one headache, have been reported in about up to a half of children during their childhood. And some children even go on to have daily headaches, and we estimate that could be as often as 2 to 6% of children. So it is pretty common as we both see in practice, right? And parents often ask me about headaches. So that's good to know that at baseline, we shouldn't worry too much. And we're going to get into some of the times that you should worry later. So let's talk first about types of headaches because they're not all headaches are the same. Yeah, exactly. And we have a international headache classification system uh, brought together with all these international headache specialists to come together on symptoms that often come along with some of these headache disorders. And one of the most common headache disorders you'll experience in childhood would be migraines, so just like an adult. However, we have some modifications to the classification for children. And One is that we look at if you've had more than five episodes of a headache length lasting more than two hours. Um, So when you ask how long the headache lasts, if you take a medicine, go to sleep, and wake up a few hours later, you may think, well, the headache was only 15 minutes, but actually the length of time that they were asleep actually counts in that classification. So we look at the length. We also look at certain headache 
characteristics as well as associated features. So for headache characteristics, we're looking to see that the headache may be throbbing intensity, one-sided, although often young children it's both-sided, but we do look for one-sided headaches. It is moderate to severe intensity, so in a child we're looking to see, is it severe enough that they're crying and, and they just really cannot play and, um, and they don't want to do their normal activities. Associated features that often come along with migraine are light and sound sensitivity, and you have to have both for that to count, or nausea. And I feel with a lot of my younger children, they often, um, when we talk about the associated features, they often have nausea and vomiting uh, pretty prominently when they're younger, and as they get older, they start to develop the light and sound sensitivity. Awesome. So that's the most common um, uh, diagnosis that we come across, and certainly if you have a family history, although that's not required, that, that makes us more suspicious that that is what is happening. And then there's another headache type, which we call tension-type headache, and that is basically, in a way, you want to think about it as a milder version of the migraine, um, and you don't have to have all the characteristics that we see with migraine, um, but it doesn't mean you have to have neck pain or tension in the neck. And it doesn't mean that um, that it's all related to stress, as we think of stress tension. So it's a diagnosis um, that has tension in the, in the word, um, but, it, but it doesn't always have to mean neck tension or stress tension. Awesome. Any way to distinguish those two? Yeah, we, uh, the way we approach it is we take a history and we see, does this meet migraine? And if it checks all those boxes, then it's migraine. And if it doesn't, then we start to look at the criteria for tension type, which is a milder version of migraine. So I like to think of tension type and migraine, although we consider them two separate disorders, I like to think of it as a spectrum. And if you're on the milder end, you may be tension type, and as you get more severe, you might be migraine. And from day to day, you may have one headache that sounds like tension type, but then you also can have the episodes that be criteria for migraine. That makes sense. So you talked a lot about those criteria to help make the diagnosis in a good, strong history and physical. So parents, when you come into the doctor and talk about your headaches, it's really helpful to write that information down, know all the things you said, how severe it is, the quality of the, is it stabbing, is it sharp, where is it located, how long does it last, do you give me all of that good detail. You can even keep a log for a week or two or over a month. All of that is so helpful because we rely on your history and our physical and these criteria to make that diagnosis. The other thing I wanted to ask you is parents often come in and they jump right to, I need a head CT or I need an MRI. Why is she having headaches? This is not normal for a child. I want to work up. Is that necessary all the time? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, I think we all all are worried when we, we hear about headaches, but we have to remember that CAT scan or CT scan is, is not a procedure that you want to go through unless you have to. And the reason is, is that it has radiation risk exposure uh, from it. And pediatric brains, you know, are very vulnerable and we do not want to be exposing them to um, unnecessary radiation because that can increase long-term risk of, of cancer or other concerns. So, Cassian definitely can be helpful during an emergency, but it is not something that we want to do um, when we're evaluating headaches that are not severe. Also, have MRIs, and so some people say, "Okay, well, I don't, I don't want a CT now. They told me that, but I'll get an MRI. Mm -hmm. I'll get an MRI." Um, and 
you have to be careful because an MRI, um, especially in young children, it needs to be done with sedation because it's a very long study and it gives us great information, a very detailed study, but it's not always necessary and we certainly don't want to need to do sedation in a child when it's not needed. So actually the headache, uh, headache the history and the neuro exam are very important tools and I feel like after I've done a detailed headache history, and that's why you say it's important to parents come prepared for that type of history, by the end of the history I I can pretty much, in most cases, be uh, reassured of how concerned, uh, how concerning or not concerning um, I think things are. And the neuro exam is an additional tool. This is where we test your eye movements, um, your facial movements, your strength in your arms and legs, and then we test reflexes where we can hit with a reflex hammer or a stethoscope to see if we can see um, if the reflexes are normal. And if that evaluation is reassuring, that's a very good test of the neurologic system in the brain. And to see that normal, that is pretty, that's a big sigh of relief. And, um, and that means you can either treat the headaches and kind of closely follow. But when we said neuro exam being normal, that's very reassuring. There is a well-known study where if headaches remain pretty stable in frequency and intensity over about a six-month period of time, and additionally, if they sound like they are migraine, if you get a normal neuro exam, that is very reassuring because um, in that study, a, a very small proportion, less than 1%, ended up with any findings that were significant on their MRI or CT. So if you have headaches and they're more than six months and you got that neuro exam, check, 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 then that's pretty reassuring and we don't need imaging at that point. That's great information. Is there any role for EEG or ruling out seizures? Yeah, and um, EEG is a great technology to evaluate for epilepsy um, or seizures, and there are times where headaches can come along with a new diagnosis of seizures or epilepsy. Headache is a very nonspecific complaint. I mean, you can get it from medicines, you can get it from not sleeping well one day. Well, guess what? You can get it before, during, or after a seizure. So headaches certainly can come along with that, but it's very, very rare, and usually the episodes related to the head pain to make us think about seizure would be more obvious, like a scaring cell where they're not responding, shaking, um, not, um, not recalling the event completely, and the amnesia. So if we don't have those kind of more obvious features there, then um, there is really not a role to get an EEG. So again, history, physical, good neuro exam. Yeah, and if, if you feel like your child is not as responsive during a headache attack, you know, ask them, you know, hey, say, you know, fuzzy teddy bear, and then later on say, what was the, what did I tell you? And then, like, you said fuzzy teddy bear, and then you can remember, hey, you know, you can realize they did remember what I was talking about. They might not have wanted to respond during the time because they weren't feeling well, but they actually did remember me. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Is there any way to prevent headaches? Great question. And Or when you have headaches, there's anything you can do, and I think the answer is definitely yes. Um, we like to call them healthy habits or lifestyle modifications, and uh, these are great first steps that you can do even before you go to your primary care doctor, your pediatrician, um, or otherwise, or it's great things for a pediatrician to recommend to the patients. And I have a whole list of things that I like to talk about with patients. And the first is always going to be hydration. We really, really want to push hydration. Um, a lot of kids do not initially have thirst, so we need to monitor. And I think the trick that I always find is not every child likes water, and that's okay. We find other fluids that they can take in. And um, you want to focus on them having fluid with every meal. 
So it's hard for a child to sip a water bottle throughout the day and be monitoring that and making sure that, oh, goodness, did I refill it? And certainly some mature children are going to do that. But the goal would be, say, with every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and maybe the first time I come in through the house at the end of the day, did I get a full glass of fluid? And if you do that, you're going to be pretty good on target with fluid. The next step is to make sure that none of that fluid has caffeine in it. Um, a lot of people hear, well, I've got headaches, and my neighbor and my friend recommended, you know, you should have a soda with caffeine. That'll take away your headache. And caffeine has a very interesting relationship with pain, and especially with migraine, where it does cause, uh, it has a little bit of vasoconstriction, which means it tightens the blood vessels. And that can be helpful during a headache. But what you don't want to do is to rely on giving a lot of caffeine and having caffeine regularly to treat headaches. Because if you start using a lot of caffeine or, or drinking a lot of caffeine, that over time can cause more headaches. We call it medication overuse headache, and it used to be called rebound headaches. And it's, they're very sneaky. They don't always say, like, okay, it's a certain time of day, or it's, you know, I had a caffeine in the morning, and it's always in the afternoon. It doesn't always have to be that way. Um, so it can really sneak up on you. So when the patients are started experiencing a lot of headaches or worried about having headaches, we would recommend um, trying to be caffeine-free. Oh, that's good. That's good. And but, then I imagine sleep. Yes. So sleep is, is, a, is, is very hard for some families to enact, but um, very much uh, a very... It's kind of, you want to have a regular schedule. You want to have the same bedtime, the same wake-up time. And believe it or not, you want to try to avoid naps. A lot of people say, my child is suffering, they have pain, I'm going to let them nap the entire day. Well, what actually happens is then they're not tired at night. And then you can create this cascade where you can end up with a very dysregulated sleep pattern where they want to be awake all night and they want to sleep all day. And so I think when you start experiencing a lot of headaches, it's very important to go back to the basics and make sure you have the same bedtime, the same wake-up time during the week and on the weekends and not to vary it by more than an hour and try to avoid the naps. Okay. Any nutritional besides caffeine? You know, a lot of people think sugar or, you know, processed. Anything yeah, nutritionally? So, so a lot of things to talk about there. I would um, definitely recommend there's no skip meals. Breakfast, um, yes. and they like to say it's an important meal of the day, and it certainly is, because if you skip breakfast, you've made it all throughout the night, and then maybe to lunch. So you're talking about more than 12 hours without uh, fuel for your brain, and the brain, that makes brains angry, and that can cause headaches. So we absolutely need to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, and a lot of times with some of our picky eaters, you know, what we say to them is say, you're having a lot of headaches. What we need you to do is we can't have these big negotiations with the family. Everyone gets frustrated. We need the child, when they do the grocery shopping for the family, to pick out whether that be a granola bar or some crackers, what is the backup snack going to be? And if they can't eat a big meal, then they have to at least have that snack that they've already picked out. We get questions about certain foods, and certainly lack of food is a huge trigger. And, you know, over time, we have some very picky eaters. Um, you can develop some nutritional difficulties with low vitamin D, low vitamin B12, and certainly those can trigger headaches. So, um, you know, I think um, being mindful of having a varied diet would be helpful. Now, but we don't want to go to the extreme where patients are limiting and only having chicken and rice because they're so afraid that there may be some food sugar out there. So you certainly have to balance things and um, and try to encourage eating and healthy eating is the best way to go. Right. And and again, a symptom log, some people are, their migraines are triggered by certain things nutritionally. So if you're taking a good symptom log, you may be able to pick up on it's chocolate or the caffeine or this or that, right? 
Right. And I think if parents are really invested in finding a trigger-free diet, I think, you know, it's hard because there's not a lot of literature out there, research to support which triggers are really ones that we need that, you know, we hear from patients, but the research doesn't really support which triggers are the most common and ones we really need to be strong about. But what I see in my practice is I definitely think a lot of things with preservatives. So whether, you know, those, those potato chips or, or um, snacks that have a flavor coating, you know, that really good thing you want to lick your fingers afterward get the coating after those things actually have preservatives and so um, if you can buy potato chips that aren't coated uh, I think that would be helpful lunch meats have preservatives that's what allows them to be out on the shelf a long period of time so you can look for nitrate free lunch meats um, avoiding um, uh, cheeses that are hard cheeses that have been out a long time. So those are the kind of things. Anything that is in a middle aisle at a grocery store that is allowed to be out on the shelf for a while, those things um, uh, some of our patients find eliminating can be helpful. Wow, that's some good information. So let and we could go on all day. I know, <laughs> but you you have work to do, so we can't keep you too long. So let's talk a little bit about uh, or patients to see rather treatment. So I can imagine the same way with treatment. There's medications then, but there's non, uh, there's strategies that are non-pharmacologic, not related to medication, which we just talked about some. And then there's this whole world, and I'll leave it up to you how much you want to go into that, of, of, of people, you know, supplements, uh, where people may use, you know, butterbur and all of these different things uh, for, for headaches instead of wanting to use some of the mainstream um, medicines that we may recommend. So break that down however you would like, but let's talk a little bit about how we treat headaches. Yeah, and I don't want to minimize healthy habits as the first first step because if you do not take care of your sleep, your hydration, eliminating caffeine, no matter what supplement or medication we give you, you're not going to feel well on them and you're not going to find the improvement that you're hoping for. So it is always important to start with those basics. And interestingly, we do have some supplements that have been studied in children and we find that they're both effective. And so the, the, the three that I like to recommend to patients are magnesium, vitamin B2, which is riboflavin, and feverfew, which is an herb. So those three, we, we do find that they're very safe. Um, magnesium um, at higher doses sometimes can cause some looser stools, and so we like to warn patients about that. Certainly, they can start low on dosing and work their way up, and as they make a change, it's nice to make a change on a weekend, so by Sunday, you can sort out as a family to just cause loose stools before you have them at school like, like that. But loose stools is, is really the, the only side effect we're going to see. Uh, the, um, so, yeah, so loose stools. But some kids, I mean, they have baseline constipation. So this may actually be a welcome supplement that can help with a lot of different things. We hear from patients that magnesium may be calming. So a lot of times we like to dose it at night for that reason. Okay. So vitamin D2, really no side effects. Occasionally we hear someone who has itchy skin or rash related to it. Um, but very minimal. It does make urine look hyper-concentrated. So you may look in the toilet and say, oh my goodness, he's not drinking water, or maybe he has a urinary tract infection, but actually that's the vitamin, and it can give it a smell. So we've had some kids want to stop it because they're embarrassed by the smell of the urine, but it's just a vitamin smell. So very safe. And fever pew, we just really don't see a lot of side effect concerns to be worried about. There are some commercially available supplement combination pills, which you can look at on uh, different online uh, stores where they can put it all into one pill and make it easier to take. So you brought up Butterbur, which um, commercially available is called Pedodolex, and um, that used to be a very commonly prescribed supplement. We're a little bit more worried about that recently um, because there were some matches that 
contain some um, ethyl alcohols that were part of the processing or baking of that, that supplement that could harm the liver. And so in children, when we start thinking about why are we using a supplement, we're using a supplement because we're trying to avoid something that might have risks and we don't want to have to monitor with blood draws. So we've been shying a little bit away from butterbone more recently. But that may become a player down the road once an improvement in our process is in place. That's good to know. So just middle-of-the-row medications for headache, you know, acute headache or preventive. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I find uh, during an attack, the key is educating uh, the family and, and your child. You know, um, it is important to treat early. So just like you would with an asthma attack or with a headache attack, you want to treat at the very start of the pain cycle because the sooner you treat, the more likely that medicine will work. In a short episode, would be so. If your child is having a headache during the middle of class, and, and we know this is a thing, we know they get headaches. But you want to work with the school and the teacher to allow them to get up during the class. I know it may interrupt their learning briefly, but it's better to treat earlier so they can get back into the class as soon as possible. What you don't want to do is have a headache start in school and then wait until they all the way get home, and then you're starting to use medicine. By then, it's really hard to get the the, the headache to, to respond very quickly, and that's a lot of suffering. So treating early um, can make uh, over the over the counter medication is much more powerful. So, um, so a lot of the options we have are going to be liquid or pill forms of ibuprofen and also acetaminophen. Um, so there's a lot of commercial commercially available options there. And you know we do think that ibuprofen products are going to be stronger than acetaminophen, but I hear from some patients that acetaminophen work better than than ibuprofen. So if you had to choose, I would meet with first ibuprofen, but um, but certainly you can always try acetaminophen. All right. So those are There's also naproxen, and um, you know it can be a little bit stronger in the stomach, and so I usually leave with first ibuprofen or medicine, But yes, there's also um, uh, naproxen available, and uh, a lot of our younger kids, and then some of our older kids that have a lot of non volume, we recommend pairing it with some Gatorade. I'm sorry, or electrolyte-containing fluids. And so something interesting is that during a headache, we think your blood vessels um, dilate and become a little bit leaky, and so giving your body that that electrolytes back and drawing that fluid back, back into the blood vessels can really help you feel less dizzy um, and it may make that headache a little bit less bothersome. So pairing it with an electrolyte containing fluid I think would be helpful. And our patients often carry those um, on them in their different backpacks or sports bags or even at a nurse's station at school um, to pair with their medicine. That is good to know. Any role for, do you often use anti-nausea, Zofran, things of that nature? Yeah, so... For some of our patients where nausea and vomiting is a prominent concern, absolutely, there are a lot of great anti-nausea or anti-emetic options. Zofran is very good with anti-nausea and it comes with a melt-away that, you know, uh, that dissolves in the mouth. It doesn't really act on the migraine itself, but it helps with the nausea portion. So when I prescribe or recommend on Dancitron or Zofran, it's for, hey, let's settle the tummy so that we can get another medicine in, but it certainly can't be the only medicine that you give for a headache attack. Um, we have other antiemetics such as prochlorperazine, which is compazine, or um, promethazine, which is phenergan, um, and um, those actually have a little bit more anti-headache action um, in addition to anti-nausea. So um, it depends on your strategy and what you like to do. They're all great options. And when do you recommend, what are the guidelines for when a family is just having a child with, uh, I would say mild intermittent uh, headaches, but versus a child who is having 
several days a week headaches? When do you move to that preventive uh, therapy? Absolutely. And some of this is guided by the family and some of this is guided by the doctor. But generally, we start to think of this when this is becoming a persistent problem. Is having some severity to it or disability in the fact they're missing activities or they're missing school because of them. The rescue medicines or the abortive medicines, things that you're prescribing, aren't taking out the headache fast enough or you're giving it and uh, it doesn't seem to have a response at all and you've been cycling through multiple abortive medicines. Another concern would be, well, uh, you know what, I um, uh, want my child to be on the daily medicine. I'm having trouble tracking this. I know they're frequent, but I'm not even really sure, and it's just getting hard. Or the child is really young, and they can't always tell their family when they're having a headache. And it's like by the time they tell them, it's already vomiting and very severe. And so there are sometimes in really young children, believe how, even though they're young, we will opt for them on a daily medicine because it, it, it can help um, clarify the situation. And, you know, when we look at frequency, there are some families that are not ready for daily medicine, that's okay, but I'll usually guide them that a headache usually more than once a week starts to become a pattern that a daily supplement or daily medicine should be a consideration. Right. Okay. And I know that can get into a whole longer discussion of these daily medications that the goal is to prevent the headaches. And so that's another topic maybe for later, but there is such a thing. <laughs> so outside of you using medications to stop your headaches when you get them, if you get them too frequently, you may need to talk to your doctor or see a specialist and consider daily medications to prevent the headaches. Just wanted to throw that out there, right? Yeah, because we use uh, abortive as uh, the class of medicine. So you used to stamp out the fire right. um, during an attack. And then the daily supplements or medicines that you take every day reliably, whether or not you have a headache or not, are meant to, over time, prevent headache attacks or if the headaches break through to make them less severe and more responsive to medicine. There you go. So when should families, we're wrapping up a little bit, when should families consider seeing a neurologist or a headache specialist like yourself? You know, oftentimes you present to your pediatrician or your primary care physician, um, and you may need that referral to go see a specialist. And and I, I kind of feel like different doctors are, are, are have different degrees of uh, comfortability with managing headaches. And so when would you say a patient needs to come see you? Right. And and I think having your doctor be comfortable with what's going on is very important. So if they aren't comfortable, I mean, I'm happy to see those patients. Other neurologists are happy to see those patients because you don't want someone who's uncomfortable managing that care of whatever symptom it may be. So, you know, neurologists are always happy to see those patients. But when your, your doctor is comfortable, um, you know, we want to respect that because there are a lot of things that primary care doctors can do. And so when we think about, definitely at a certain point, to think about referral is they're coming in and out of the emergency room. You know, you're seeking multiple ER visits. There's something suspicious in the headache history or on the neuro exam, uh, some red flag that you bring up that I really want a neurologist to double check me. Um, as a doctor, I want a neurologist to look and to re-examine and make sure that it doesn't need to be imaged more quickly. I don't want to wait for medicines to take effect. I really want to see this evaluation happen sooner. So that would be a great, great idea there. And or have we been trying um, a daily medicine and maybe one or two rescue medicines or one of medicines and we're not getting that relief and it's been about four to six months and we're starting to get frustrated about where things are going. And I've had some pediatricians feel very comfortable with one, two daily preventive medicines, but it also depends on the family. It also depends on 
um, if they have other medical conditions. Sometimes, goodness, they might have a history of asthma, anxiety, depression, other things that really complicate the picture, and you might need a neurologist's expertise to help choose the best medicine. So all those are reasonable reasons to seek out um, higher-level care. The problem nationally is there's not many pediatric neurologists, and there definitely are not a lot of pediatric headache specialists. And so we want to be mindful of that resource and also recognize when that referral does happen. Sometimes it can take a few months to get, get plugged into care. Right. I would be honest and say that usually when I really highly suspect that a child is going to need preventive therapy, I'll start something, but I want the neurologist to bless them and say, you're on the right track. This is all it is. Yes, I agree with your medicine. Nothing else needs to be done. I just want to make sure, right? But certainly Mm -hmm. you're right. If you're in an area where you don't have that or the wait is six months down the road, Mm -hmm. then you have to get it going on behalf of the patient. Absolutely. And when you speak about like a daily medicine and feeling comfortable, I feel that ciproheptine, periactin, which is one of yes. our most commonly prescribed daily preventive treatments and is very effective in the younger patient population, so under 13. And, um, you know, the side effects are super mild. I mean, the only things we really see, because I do it once a day at night, is um, uh, sometimes a morning fatigue or increased appetite and occasionally some irritability. And a lot of times these kids are picky eaters anyway, and so if you do it right before, dinner, they're going to eat better at dinner. If you do it after dinner, you know, goodness, you won't get the increased appetite and then just go to sleep. So it's a very mild allergy medicine that has some effects on some of our headache receptors. It's a great option for patients. And it comes with a liquid and a pill. So that really should be a great daily medicine for pediatricians to have in our arsenal. And they can start that treatment. And pediatric headaches can sometimes be very responsive to, to medicine. And it's important to start treating when you can early on. That's right. I feel so good. That's what I usually start. Because I find oftentimes, too, you know, we're in Florida, very allergy type of environment. So I feel like they, you know, you already have allergies anyway, allergic rhinitis. This is like a double treatment. (laughs) And that could contribute to headaches, right? And so that's like the first thing I pull out. You're absolutely right. I feel so good. Well, wonderful. I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that. And ciproheptine could also be used as an abortive medicine. So for the families that are a little bit scared about diving into it being a daily medicine, that's a medicine you can give to take as needed and pair it with Tylenol or Motrin. Um, and then they kind of feel it out and go, oh, that's not so bad. And then when they come back and things are worse, you can say, you know that med I was giving to you and it was helpful a little bit. We're going to convert that to a daily medicine. Now. I like that. That's good. So last two questions. When are headaches an emergency? So those red flag things where you're at home, it's happening, go to the emergency room or urgent care or call your doctor, this is an emergency. Yeah, so if you have an established history of headaches and all of a sudden this headache is different or has some new symptoms that are very worsened or strange to you, um, you are not wrong to seek out emergency care. In fact, when it is when it is very severe um, and your child you think you know the worst headache they've experienced, then it is reasonable to get an urgent evaluation. If the headaches are not responding to their rescue medicine, you know, certainly look at the bottle, see if it can be repeated, or you can call your primary care doctor and see, you know, can I try other medicines or can we repeat doses, um, get a little guidance there. But if it's not continuing to respond and remains at a high intensity, even if it is your typical headache, there is a reason to seek out emergency care and the fact that um, they can help you with some IV treatments or you know, place an IV and give medicines in a different way. All right. Um, red flags that we think of as someone who's never had a headache, a uh, young patient, um, certainly the young age range, less than six, we're a little bit more careful with. 
if you have uh, neurologic type birthmarks where you have white spots or capillaries that are chocolate spots, um, that can raise your risk because it could come along with a neurocutaneous disorder. If the headaches are waking up in the middle of the night, that can be a red flag. Though don't panic if you see that because sometimes people have a headache during the day, they go to bed, and then the headache is still there, well, and they wake up in the middle of the night saying, I still have a headache. That's different. We're talking about a headache. It wasn't there. They go to bed, and suddenly out of the middle of the night, it is really strong and severe. That would be a concern. And you've got to listen to your child, and if things are not getting better, um, and you're trying the medicine, and there's a strange side effect or something, as a parent, a parent intuition, you can definitely seek out uh, care when you think it's needed. Those are all great. And so lastly, give us some resources. I mean, I feel like you've given the most amazing information, but I know my parents like to go and find a great link that you recommend because we always want to give credible websites because people go everywhere. Dr. Google is giving out all kind of wrong information. (laughs) So give us some websites that parents can go to to get more information on headaches. Yeah, there's a lot of great information out there. So the American Headache Society is our national organization of, of our headache providers, and, and they have some great content on there. The, the more patient-focused ones are the American Migraine Foundation, or AMF, or the National Headache Foundation. And there's a lot of educational articles or flyers that they can go to. And, you know, I think in this day and age, I think there's also just a lot of um, support through um, different blogs or Facebook groups and um, I think American Migraine Foundation might have a Facebook group that you can join and there's a lot of other migraine ones that you can search. But I find my patients find really, really helpful. Um, so I think that those are great options. Now social media really, you know, talk about Facebook, even Twitter. Twitter is becoming a great avenue for a lot of patients that follow all the new treatments that are coming out, new research articles, or what is everyone talking about? Um, and um, I have a lot of patients that follow me on Twitter, and um, you know, it doesn't always have to be me, but it could be your doctor. And there's a lot of great information on there, or you can follow the American Headaches, sorry, the uh, American Headache Society or the National Headache Foundation because they post things as well. Okay, so how can people find you on Twitter? Oh, I am Strauss Headache. <laughs> Strauss Headache. I like yes. that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Doyle, Dr. Strauss. Oh my goodness. I, I, I think well, I was Dr. looking Doyle at, Strauss, that's fine. Yes. yeah, I was looking at your email. We, we do eventually get married and keep our maiden names, right? <laughs> so thank you so much, Dr. Strauss, for this wonderful information. Any last words or comments? I really want to say thank you for bringing me on and, um, and I appreciate the opportunity to share what I know about headaches. Awesome. And thank you guys for listening and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. To get more kid health information, visit drcandismd.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this episode and the Kidding Around with Dr. Candace podcast.